0: Our text this Lord's Day is Psalm 128. Pay close attention once again. This is God's holy word. Blessed is everyone who fears Yahweh, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears Yahweh. Yahweh, bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children, peace, be upon Israel. Thus far, the reading of God's word, let's give thanks together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, and we ask you now to open our ears and open our hearts and fill us all with your Holy Spirit that we might receive it and obey it, that we might mark and learn and follow and apply in all the right ways. So loosen my tongue that I might articulate these things clearly. Deliver us from distraction. Deliver us from error, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Like most parents, I can remember very clearly the early days of when my children were tiny and we had first brought them home uh, from the hospital. You know, you have that moment of sheer panic and terror when Everyone leaves for the first time and you're left there with this little baby all by yourself and you wonder, what am I supposed to do with this? I don't think I'm ready, but you are. You figure it out. You're ready. When my children were infants, I remember very clearly holding them on my lap and being in awe and wonder of the immense blessings that God had given us. I would look at their little hands and wonder um, whose hands those hands were going to hold, whose hands those hands would shake, what work those fingers would do in their lifetime. I would count their toes, and I would wonder where those feet would take them, probably even places that I've never been. Those feet would take them to visit places that that I'll never get to go. I would look at their perfect little ears and nose and chin and eyes and wonder, what are they going to look like when they're older? When all this comes together, what is their voice going to sound like? Who are they going to be? What are they going to love? What's going to motivate them? What are their passions going to be? What are they going to do with their lives? And as I was in awe and wonder of the image of God impressed on these tiny children, I uh, was provoked to prayer. There were many... Uh, prayers provoked by those thoughts. From the very beginning, we prayed for our children's future spouses that God would protect their spouses, that God would be merciful to them and deliver them to us just at the right time when we when we were ready for them. We pray that the Lord would keep our children healthy that that he would preserve their lives and most of all we prayed that our lord would continually make himself known to our children that that he would draw them under his care That our children would never know a day where they didn't know that Jesus was Lord and King of their life. We wanted them to know that more than anything. And that's what I've always wanted for my children. More than anything is that their lives are pleasing to the Lord Jesus, that they know and serve the Lord Jesus every day of their life. I don't care if they drive a garbage truck I don't care if they're a CEO of a corporation. I don't care if they're president of the United States. I don't care if they live in a trailer or a mansion or drive a Ford or drive a Lexus. What I care about more than anything is that they live lives that are pleasing to the Lord Jesus and that they serve the Lord Jesus every day of their lives. That is the most important thing to me. And we've sought to feed that faith, to nurture it, to never give them any reason to doubt who they belong to, to never set up barriers or roadblocks between them and the Lord Jesus, to never, to never give them any reason to believe that they're outside the body of Christ, but they are a vital part of it. Well, we're still a long way from the finish line as parents, but the Lord has been so good to us in ways, way more than we deserve. It's been a struggle. It's been a fight. It's been a war sometimes to defend our children, to instruct and to disciple and to discipline them, to protect them, to educate them, to provide for them. And if you want to sit down and have coffee one day and hear about all the ways I've messed up, we can take a couple hours and we'll just get through the first section of all the ways I messed up. Things I wish that I could do over again, chances that I wish that I could have back. If I could get just one more shot to do that differently, I would do it. But you don't get another shot. Your son will only be five years old one time. Your daughter will only be 11 years old one time. You only get that one chance. You blink twice and they're grown. You can't stop time. You can't slow it down. So we must all make every effort to be faithful right now with the opportunities and the resources that God has given us to honor him, to submit our ways to him, to trust him, to bless our efforts and to do what we can with what we've been given. Now, because we have a great and solemn duty to raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, because we are shepherding eternal souls, it's critical that we all keep encouraging one another in the scriptures, that we keep saying to each other what the scriptures say about children, that we keep saying what God says about children, how to train them, how to love them. Even if you don't presently have children or you don't have children in the home, this is all relevant to you as well. You can't think, oh, well, we're going to get a sermon on children and discipline and training and education so I can check out for the next few weeks and I can, I can think about other things. No, that's not good. That's not good at all because we are building an environment here that accepts and practices and preaches and believes certain things regarding children, things that the world despises things that it seems much of the church is ignorant of, things that are in the scriptures, information about children that God says this is true, that we ignore in the church. So because we are building this environment, we need everyone on board. It's all hands on decks. We, we need everyone to help us confess these truths together. A biblical perspective on children must be culturally reinforced. If I'm off doing my own thing with my child, educating, training, disciplining, and, and I'm in a community or environment where everybody is doing 180 degrees the opposite thing, it's going to be miserable. It's going to be very difficult for me to be effective. But if my kid uh, talks to your kid and say, you know what my dad expects? My dad expects me to be respectful. He, respects, he expects me to say, yes, sir, and no, sir, and yes, ma'am, and, and the other kid said, yeah, mine does too. Well, then, you see, there's cultural reinforcement there, and that's just one tiny example, but you see that Um, that that there's this expectation that we all believe certain things in common. This is who our children are. We believe what God's word says about who they are. This is what faithfulness looks like. This is our expectation for you, that you love and serve and obey the Lord Jesus and that you seek to please him with your life. That's what we want from our children. These things have to be culturally reinforced. So everybody's in on this. Uh, if you want to talk about time getting away from you, I look through my archive of sermon outlines and it's been about five years since I've done a, done a series on children. I thought, yeah, we've just recently done this together. We just went through this, but we haven't. So it's easy to take some things for granted, uh, but we need to hear this again and revisit it every so often so that we are maturing together. In these things. Things that we hear and study when our children are tiny, we may think, oh, that's, that's fine, but maybe that applies to a teenager. And before you know it, your kids are preteens or teenagers, and we need to hear it again and, uh, as new challenges are presented. So I hope that this study is fruitful and helpful as we support each other in our so, There are two things today I want to do. I want to ask what are children biblically and then what are parents? Because for the next few weeks, I want us to study together what the Bible has to say about our children and what pleases God with regard to their upbringing. I also want to keep this as close to the scriptures as I can. I have ideas and I have preferences and I have a certain... Um, Convictions about what attitudes and what behaviors are objectionable uh, with children. And there are things that I think need to be corrected. But my purpose here over the next few weeks is not to give you a list of things of things you know, I don't like. You know, I'm not gonna give you a list of things that, you know, that, that really aggravates me. That's not my purpose at all. I wanna stick to the scriptures and encourage you to faithfully apply the principles that God's word gives us though that may look different from house to house. Various houses have their own traditions and their own, uh, uh, own, own house rules, and that's just the way it, that's the way it works out. Um, methods will vary. What I'm after are the principles. So the first thing I want to ask and try to answer, first, first order of business is what does the Bible say about children? Who are they? This will determine everything else we do and everything else we say because if our children are heathens, if our children are atheists, we're going to uh, operate with regard to their upbringing a very different way than if we believe what Psalm 128 says about them, which is that they're olive plants and that they are blessed and blessings. And we need to understand what the scriptures say. So so what does the Bible say about children? When it comes to disciplining and training children, we're not dealing with blank slates. We're We're not dealing with little robots that we can just program and they'll do exactly what they what what we say that they need to do. Our children are living souls with the image of God stamped on them. They each are accountable to God for their own lives. They all will stand individually before the judgment seat of Christ and be judged for their obedience. And God has made specific promises to believers and to their children. You can't read very far in the scriptures without seeing a promise that God makes to his people that includes their children. When God establishes covenants, he says, this is my covenant for you and to your descendants after you. Now, in a couple of weeks, we're gonna kind of, we're, we're spend a lot of time on that. I think it's necessary to hear what the scriptures say about generational faithfulness, but I'm just going to uh, pull out a few things like Psalm 127 and 128. We read 128 just a few minutes ago. I want to I ease back into Psalm 127 um, just for a moment to hear how the Psalms speak about our children. In Psalm 127, we read, behold, children are a heritage from Yahweh. The fruit of the womb is a reward. In Psalm 127, children are a heritage. They are riches. They are a reward. But we live in a generation that would sing, Behold, children are an interruption to my career. The fruit of the womb is a great big hassle. That is how we would translate that today. Our society generally views children as expensive, disruptive, burdensome, frustrating, and they only get in the way and they keep me from living life to to my fullest. Except God says the opposite God says they're a reward. They are a heritage. Children are wealth. I want you to hear that very clearly, and I want you to remember that. Children are wealth. The psalm says, Happy is the man who has a bunch of them. Not frustrated, not miserable. Happy is the man who has a bunch of them. Every once in a while, you see those articles that say, Here's how much it costs to raise a child. From uh, birth until the age of 18 years old. And recently, uh, the USDA put out a number. That number to raise a child from birth to 18 is $233,000 to raise a child. Uh, And if we read that through the lens of Psalm 127, uh, we say, wow, is that all? Man, what a bargain! what a deal. A quarter of a million dollars to bring an eternal soul into the world, to get to train them and disciple them and play with them and grow with them and to, and to work on them and educate them and then to unleash them on the world so they can go make a dent in the universe. That is all we have to pay for that, a quarter million di- dollars. That's, that's a deal. Sign me up. That's a bargain. You see, that's the perspective that that Psalm 127 uh, gives us, that children are wealth, children are a heritage. The very next Psalm, Psalm 128, uses the word happy again, describing the man who walks in the ways of Yahweh. Psalm 128 says, which we sang earlier, When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. Your wife is a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house and your children like olive plants all around your table. Your children are like olive plants, the psalm says, not tumbleweeds, not serpents. Your children are not atheistic philosophy professors around your table. Who are your children? Your children are like olive plants. Olive trees in the ancient world are sources of wealth. They make, olives make everything better. The oil of olives is burned for light. The oil of olives enhances your food. So you desire olive plants and you desire a lot of them. And that's what children of believers are like. They're like fruitful trees. They grow up and they give you more olive trees. They reproduce in verse five of Psalm 128. Yahweh bless you out of Zion and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. How do you know that God is pleased with your life? How do you know that his blessing rests upon you because of this? Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. You know that God's blessing rests upon you when you see generation after generation of faithfulness. The Lord demonstrates his mercies to his people by giving them many generations of faithful offspring. And this promise gets repeated whenever he makes a covenant with his people. I'm just gonna read you three of these examples, though the Bible is full of them. Jeremiah 32. They shall be my people and I will be their God. Then I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever. For the good of them and their children after them. This covenant that I make for them is not just for them. It doesn't just terminate on them, but this is for them and their children after them. Isaiah 59, 21. As for me, says Yahweh, this is my covenant with them. My spirit who is upon you and my words, which I put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says Yahweh, from this time and forevermore. I'm gonna put my word in your mouth and your children are gonna sing it and your children's children are gonna sing my word. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Therefore know that the Lord, your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. That is the pattern. When God makes promises, he makes promises to his people and to their children. He is a God to them and to the generations that follow them each time. But notice that while children are a great blessing, they're not unqualified blessings. The promises that God makes to his people and to their children are conditional upon the faith of the parents and upon the faith of the children. The promises of preservation of the generations, the promises of big blessed families are for those who keep his commandments. Psalm 103 says, the mercy of Yahweh is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. That's what we want. To whom? To such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them. All of these promises belong to the faithful. Not only must parents be faithful to train and discipline and instruct their children, but children must be faithful to submit to this discipline and receive this instruction. God's covenants have signs. God's covenants have promises, but God's covenants always have obligations. There are duties to the covenant. The blessings are not automatic. The blessings come through faithfulness. What this means is that as we receive this and process this, it means that raising children is not like scratching a lottery ticket and it's not like algebra. I wanna show you these very two bad examples, approaches that, that people have toward raising children. It's not like a, scratching a lottery ticket, it's not like algebra. On the one hand, there are those who treat raising children like scratching a lottery ticket, as if there are no promises. We're just scratching the ticket and see what we get. We might get a loser, we might get a good thing, we might get a little bit of something, or, you know, it might be a dud, I don't know. It's just the luck of the draw. It's just rolling the dice and you get what you get. When you have kids, sometimes you get a good kid, sometimes you get an obnoxious kid, sometimes you get a monster, that's just the way it goes, what are you going to do? That's the the belief. Ultimately, it has nothing to do with what you do or what you don't do. When our kids were very small, folks would comment, if they caught us on a really good day, which we had from time to time, they would comment on how well-behaved they were. But they didn't credit it to any training or work or discipline on our part. They would just say, oh, she's such an easy child. So obviously, Such an easy child, boy! You really lucked out with that one. What an easy child! And then they would comment on the kid who is shrieking like a banshee and swinging from the curtain rods. Oh, they really have their hands full. Oh my goodness! They—they. I feel so bad for her mother. Uh, They—they really have a hard one, as if. It has nothing whatsoever to do with the parents. Like, we just rolled the dice, we scratched the lottery ticket, and we got a sweet one, and they got a maniac. No, you don't understand. You see that sweet, polite child? She didn't come into the world that way. She needed training, and it took blood and sweat and tears and struggle to get her to act like a human and to get him to act like a human. That maniac child, the maniac child was the easy one. You see, you don't have to do anything to get a maniac. You just let them go. Let them run feral, and you get what you get. It doesn't take any effort to have a maniac. The obedient child takes a lot of work. It's not like scratching a lottery ticket. It's not like rolling the dice. God requires parents to invest time and effort into training their children. And this perspective, this lottery ticket perspective, ignores that God has given commands to parents and to children. God promises to honor those who honor him. God promises blessing to those who obey his law. God says, honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which Yahweh your God is giving you. Blessing and life flow to the obedient. Do what God says and he will bless your efforts. So we don't live as if there's no connection between promises and commands. Having faithful children is not just a roll of the dice. God gives parents responsibilities. On the other hand, there are those who view parenting as if it's all a matter of doing the right thing at the right time in the right order on the right schedule. It's like algebra. It's a very mechanical, calculating kind of approach to parenting. If you do it the right way, if you plug the numbers in the way they go, you get the right answer every single time. It's like following a cake recipe. You do exactly what it says on the box, you put it all in the pan, you put it in the oven, and when you open the oven, you have a cake. You, you don't have a turkey, you don't, you, know, you don't have a meatloaf, you have a cake if you if you do what the recipe says every time without fail. You do it the right way and it never changes. Well, that works for algebra and that generally works for cakes, but if you apply that to parenting and a lot of other things in life, you get a very narrow form of legalism because there are many factors at work in the life of a child most of which are out of your control. The child must respond and obey themselves. They are responsible to obey and to respond to our efforts. We depend upon the work of the Holy Spirit. So we don't have control over outcomes. And when we have this formulaic approach, we assume that it's 100% up to us how our children turn out. And typically when we try to apply a formula, it's our formula It may or may not really have anything to do with God's principles. This is why I try to stay away from, here's how to raise kids God's way. Here's here's the biblical plan for parenting. I won't use phrases like that because I'm not not giving you a formula. I'm not giving you a recipe for perfect kids. I don't wanna do that at all. Um, We must not forget that our children are responsible before God to respond to our parenting. And and this gets more and more important as they grow. Don't forget that God himself had a son who rebelled. God set Adam up with a paradise and he set Adam up with everything he needed to obey. What defect was there in God's love for Adam that led to Adam's rebellion? What neglect was there in God's design for Adam that led to the fall? There was nothing. In fact, um, there was nothing that the Lord could have done, should have done for Adam that he didn't do. Over in Isaiah 5, God asks Israel, he says, what what more could I have done for my vineyard than than I did? The answer is nothing. God couldn't have done anything more. Adam, Israel... We're required to respond to the blessing that they had received. And when children disobey and when they rebel, it is our duty to oppose their sin. We are to restrain their wickedness and trust God to turn their hearts. But we don't live as if children are robots that we can just program. And if somebody uh, ends up with a rebel, it means that therefore they didn't use the right recipe. They didn't use the right program because we don't believe in works righteousness. Uh, We are faithful with our responsibilities. We confess our sins and we trust God with the outcomes. So we have duties to obey and follow the Lord. It's not chance. It's not like rolling the dice. We have duties, but it's not all of us. We trust God with the outcomes. Conscious of that, we stay out of both ditches. We don't live in ignorance of God's promises to bless our faithfulness. And we don't raise our children like Pharisees with, with no grace. We don't believe our formulas automatically produce perfect children. What we do is we labor diligently with prayer. We emphasize the chief importance of worship in the life of our family, that we are a family who appears before God every Lord's day. We do what God says, even when it's painful, even when it's difficult, even when it's uncomfortable, even when what God says is the hard way. That's what we do. We follow his commandments. We admonish, we chasten, we encourage, we rebuke, we confess our sins to each other. We run to make wrong things right. We set before our children a faithful example and live our lives in community, not off by ourselves in isolation, but in the context of God's family, in the context of the church with confidence and joy in a God who keeps his promises to those who fear him. And yet we rest in this, that it's not all up to me. We trust in God for the outcome. So I want to spend some more time in coming weeks um, looking, more about, uh, looking at more about the, uh, the, the place of children in the church and children in the covenant. But with the time that I have remaining, just the couple of minutes I have left, I want to ask, what are, what are parents? So children, we know children are reward, children are wealth, children are heritage, children are olive plants, and we have duties and responsibilities to them under the sovereignty of God and with his blessing. But what are parents? Just a few quick thoughts on this. Parents are stewards of the children that God has given them. Our children belong to God ultimately. They don't only belong to us. We are entrusted with the raising and training of God's children. This has played out dramatically in our children's baptism, which we just saw this morning. Uh, the, the Lawrence family they came and they gave their babies to Jesus to be united covenantally with Jesus and then, and then the church takes the baby and they bless them, and then they give them back they give them back to the parents and they say, say, "Now you raise them, now you disciple them, now you train them and that 's what we 're doing that 's what we 're all doing we 're acknowledging that this baby i 'm thankful, but this baby belongs to the Lord." So I brought my kids. When my kids were very small and I gave them to the church, I gave them to Jesus and I said, thank you, Lord, but these are your children. I, I thank you for giving them to me, but they're yours. And then Jesus takes them and he marks them and he gives them back to you. And he says, now you train and love and discipline my babies. You take and train my children. So we are stewards of God's children. We are also representatives of God to our children <clears throat> we stand as the nearest authority over our children and doing we model for our children God's authority his leadership his love we see this taught in several places children are often commanded to obey mother and father in the same way that they're commanded in the same language that they're commanded to obey God for the child The role of mother and father is akin to the role of God in their life. In Leviticus 19.3, every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. The word revere there in our English translations is the word fear, the same word that's translated fear many other places throughout the Pentateuch, throughout Moses' writing. It's the same word that's used for the fear of the Lord you are to fear mom and dad have the same holy reverence and respect for mom and dad that you have for the Lord. It's the same word, the same respect. Hebrews 12, 9. We have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? The same subjection and the same reverence and the same respect that you show your earthly father is what your heavenly father deserves, the author of Hebrews says. You have to submit to mom and dad just as you do your heavenly father. So fathers and mothers are representatives of God standing in his place in the lives of children. Um, We read the promise that comes with the command to honor father and mother. Honor your father and mother, for so may your days be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And that is the same promise that God gives to his son Israel in Deuteronomy 5. Therefore, you shall be careful to do as Yahweh your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or the left. You shall walk in all the ways which Yahweh your God has commanded you, that you may live and it may be well with you and that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. God is speaking to his son Israel there and he's using the same language and the same promises and, and laying on him the same obligations that he does from parents to children. So God uses the same language of his fatherhood for his son Israel as he does for parents and their children. Parents stand in the place of God. God shows that his relationship between himself and his people is reflected in the relationship between parents and children. One of my favorite psalms, Psalm 22, David sings to God. He says, you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts. David loved the Lord and he knew the Lord. He says, I knew the Lord even when I was an infant, I knew you even while I was on my mother's breasts, when I was being fed by my mother. How did baby David know God? He knew God through the love of his mother, through the care and protection and nurture and feeding of his mother. That's the first place he learned who the Lord was, on the breasts of his mother. Before he could even talk, before he could even articulate what he knew, he knew God through mommy. That's what David professes in Psalm 22. you see parents stand as God's representatives in the lives of their children? Which means that essentially young children, if you're listening to me, young children, you have one commandment to follow. I know there are 10 commandments, but you have one that's most important more than anything, and that's to honor and obey mom and dad. That's what you are called to do to be pleasing to God. It's not complicated. God has given you faithful parents. Do what they say. Make them happy, and you will be happy, and everyone will be happy if you make mom and dad happy. This has all kinds of implications for children, but I think it has even more implications for parents, because there's a hesitation in parenting often, knowing your own frailties, knowing your own sins, knowing your own shortcomings, knowing your failures. You're a little bit afraid. You lack confidence in insisting upon obedience out of your children because you say, well, I'm messed up. Why am I going to expect them to obey perfectly? Because they're sinners too. But you miss. Something you miss that despite your sins, which you should be confessing and bringing before God, you should be forgiven of your sins, you should be uh, continually repenting and trusting in, in God for His forgiveness. But despite your sins, God has placed you in a role of authority over your children in such a way that it is your duty to train your children in obedience before God. It is your calling. It is your job. You must have children who obey you. You must insist on obedience. Because in obeying you, your children are obeying the Lord. If you put up with sass and if you put up with lip, and if you put up with slow obedience, you tell them to do something and they just kind of slide off the couch like a slug and they just kind of wander over to the thing and it's not joyful obedience. If you put up with slow obedience, if you put up with rebellion, what are you, what are you saying? You're saying, you know, you can take me lightly and what I say doesn't matter. And oh, by the way, what God said, it doesn't matter either. It doesn't matter how you respond to authority. It doesn't matter how you respond when you are required to do something. That's what you're teaching them. You're telling them that it doesn't matter what God says. You can give God sass and lip and disrespect. And when God tells you to do something, you can just kind of roll off like a slug and not do it joyfully. That's what you're training your children in when you train them in disrespect and you don't require that they obey. No, Rather, you must say this, you must obey me. You must learn to submit and do what I say. And I insist upon that because baby, you need to learn how to obey God. And this, my house is where you're going to learn how to obey God. I am not going to be standing over you all your life. And when you're on your own, you're going to come under the discipline of your heavenly father. Right now, I represent his authority in your life. Well, I don't say that so that you can say to your children, well, you better do what I say, and that's what God says. Don't I mean I'm not I'm not inflating you in such a way that we do this arrogantly because, because this means that parents must imitate God in the way that God disciplines and trains and instructs his children. We don't we don't have this position of authority so we can just do whatever we want. We have this position of authority so that we can imitate God. The way that God treats his children is the way that I must treat my children. I must follow his example. He is a good father and I must train my children in the way that God trains his children because I am God's representative. By my actions, I'm showing my children, this is what God is like. Every day I'm preaching theology to my kids and I'm showing them this is what God is like. So if I'm irrationally angry and I'm upset all the time, that's what I teach my kids God is like. I'm just like your heavenly father and he's always upset and he's always glaring at you and he's always frustrated at you, he's always yelling at you. If I'm easily provoked to angry outbursts, if I'm put out when my kid asks a question, I'm showing them this is what God is like. When you come ask something of your heavenly father, God doesn't wanna hear you, he ignores you, he's got better things to do. If I'm always harping and picking at my kids, if what they do is never good enough, I'm telling them God is not satisfied with you. It doesn't matter what you do, God is never going to be happy with your life. God is never going to be pleased with you. That's what I'm showing them. If I'm lazy and if I'm inconsistent with discipline, I'm saying that's what God is like. If I say, you do that one more time and you're going to get a spanking, and they do that one more time and nothing happens, I'm telling them that God is a liar, that you don't have to worry about God's judgments. If I say I'm going to count to 10 and then, ban, it's bad news. Something's bad going to happen. And I count to 10 and nothing happens. I'm a joke. God's a joke. This whole thing's a joke. You don't have to take anything seriously. I'm training my children to believe that God is a joke. If I keep long lists of things that they did wrong and I keep bringing those up, I'm saying that this is what God does. God keeps lists and he never really forgives. He just says he forgives, but then he keeps bringing up old things and you can never get out from under the guilt. If I'm arbitrary about my judgments, if I tell them no to good things, when there really isn't a good reason to say no, other than I just don't feel like putting up with it, I'm telling them that God is sort of like that. He doesn't have any reason to tell you no. He just doesn't want you having any fun if I'm kind of downbeat and gloomy, and if I'm always brooding about this thing or that other thing, if I never look for ways to have fun, if I, if I never really give them great, sweet, undeserved blessings, then I'm saying, God really doesn't pursue you to do you good, to give you great, undeserved, sweet things. If I make promises that I don't keep, then I say, God doesn't keep his promises if I complain about everything and everybody all the time, and if I've never satisfied and I've never can be content with anything, I am showing my children a God that is peevish and irritated and not happy and not blessed and not one who rejoices over his people and his creation. If I demand things of my kids that they're incapable of doing, if I demand things of them that they can't even comprehend, then I'm teaching them about a God who doesn't know their frame, if the rules are always changing and incomprehensible, or if there are too many rules that you can't even keep track of them, we're saying this is what God's law is like. He doesn't really care about holiness and obedience. He's just trying to get you. He's just trying to trip you up with something. You see, we stand in the place of God to our children. We teach them what God is like every day. And we stand here with the potential to teach them a whole lot of untruth. We teach them heresy about God. When our God is a happy father, he is cheerful, he is forgiving, he is gracious, he is tender, he is patient, and he is consistent in his training. He is consistent in his law giving. He is consistent in his discipline. He is consistent in his promise keeping. God, our father, is a consistent father. You can trust him. You know what he's going to do. You know what he's going to say. This is our heavenly father, and it's our great weight of responsibility, moms and dads, to show this father, this authority to our children. And see, when you do that, and our children reject that authority, when we, do, when we follow and imitate God our father, and our children reject that, well, then they really are rejecting God's authority. But I don't ever want to put my kids in a position where I've set up some ridiculous, cruel, Byzantine network of laws where obedience to my code has nothing to do with holiness. It has nothing to do with righteousness. My rules don't point to God in any way. It's just a collection of my eccentric opinions and my eccentric preferences. I don't ever want to do that because that's setting them up for frustration and failure. You know, you might say, well, you know, we're put in all kinds of situations in life where we have to submit to tyrannical, unjust authorities. And, you know, maybe that's good for them. Maybe they need to be trained in putting up with that stuff. And I say, yeah, is that how you want your leadership described in your home? Unjust, tyrannical, onerous, cruel? Is that, is that how you want your leadership described? Wearisome, arbitrary, your home? That's how you raise Pharisees. You raise Pharisees through... Crazy, burdensome laws and codes. That's how you raise apostates. No, we don't do that because God our Father isn't that way. Neither do we frustrate them with a lack of attention, a lack of order and discipline, with complete neglect of our duties. If we do that, we leave them exposed. There's nothing to obey and there's nothing to reject. There's just nothing there. That's how you raise atheists. You show them a God who isn't there. That's how you raise hypocrites. When you show them a God that is imminently rejectable or easily marginalized, a God that doesn't mean what he says, a God who doesn't care about them we, leave them, we leave them exposed. And then it's no surprise when they leave the faith. The call of parenthood is to be godly toward our children. In this way, parenthood is sanctifying for us because in faithful parenting, we learn how to imitate our father. We learn how to be like our God so that we can show forth his glory and his goodness and his happiness, not only in our home, but in the church and in the world. Well, we have more to study on this, but for now let's pray and meditate on these things. Holy God, from whom every family on earth takes its name, we ask you, please strengthen our fathers and mothers to show forth your love to show forth your fatherly leadership and discipline so that our children may know security and joy. Lead our children to honor their parents by compassion and forgiveness. May all people know your fatherly care through the love demonstrated by your people in godly homes. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.